Manufacturer podcasts are sponsored by Sage, helping manufacturers perform at their best. For more information, visit sage.com/perform. I go weak at the knees whenever, whenever, so I, comes out the when, whenever I hear the opening bars of the theme, the classic theme tune, it's like, <gasps> I'm like, uh, there's, a, there's a meme with a little baby that sort of runs into a room and then gets excited and surprised and it runs out again. <laughs> I, am, I am that sort of uh, meme baby. Right. Are we doing an official intro to the podcast? I suppose we should do. Hello and welcome back to the Manufacturer Happy Hour, a podcast by the events team. Uh, now you might be wondering what happened to the other two guys, my partners in crime for the first podcast. Well, we deliberately set the bar very, very low, so that this episode would be a massive step up. Uh, obviously, we wanted to showcase the amazing talent we have here at the Manufacturer, and, and who better? Do you want to introduce the two of yourselves, so Grace and Difficult? Who are you? What do you do? Why are you here? So, I'm Grace Gilling, Managing Director of Hennick, the Manufacturer. The boss. So, <laughs> why am I here? Uh, here to join you to talk about, I guess, diversity and inclusion and what we're doing as a business to try and address that for the manufacturing sector. Because we're recording this before, but obviously it will be released just after International Women's Day on the eighth of March. I think it's a very timely Podcast. moment to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. But Dipika, uh, I'm Dipika. I run the commercial team here at the manufacturer, um, and I manage a diverse team of men. <laughs> What have you been getting up to recently? So what are some of the things you've been doing? So obviously we had the, the Digital Manufacturing Week launch at the House of Lords, all very exciting. Nice close-up there, the beautiful cover. Uh, it's not a bit of typos, though. So, um, so how's that for you? So I was on stage uh, yeah. presenting to the audience that we had there. It's a really important day for us because as well as launching the programmes for Smart Factory Expo and Manufacturing Leaders Summit, it's also the opening of our awards programme, so the Manufacturer MX Awards and the Manufacturer Top 100, both things that um, you know, have categories within them to uh, promote diversity and excellence for talent mm. of people within uh, roles in manufacturing businesses. So that's really important because they're open now. So, uh, obviously today we are taking a look at some of the issues around diversity in manufacturing and across the activities as, as an events team, so I thought we should address <laughs> oh the, the elephant in the room. That's a good prop. That, that is, right? Yeah. So Why has it got the label still on it? Just don't draw, they can't see it from this side, honestly. <laughs> 75p. You're breaking the fourth wall, but... It's actually from Indonesia. It's a gift okay. from Indonesia. Anyway, so um, so back to the, the, the issue in hand. So obviously diversity. So we've been talking about it. We've been sort of struggling with this as an issue, perhaps as uh, a team and as individuals, in order to try and better represent sort of the full diversity of modern Britain across our agendas, but also to sort of mirror what the the market is itself sort of doing. And and obviously, probably over the last few years. We've had too many comments about our, our conference agendas, um, sort of not not having as many women as we could have. Uh, I learned a new word recently, 
Manal. Do you know what a manal is? No. It's an all-male panel. Yeah, I think Elizabeth Bonfield from the Skills UK had launched something that was saying, you know, we need to address manals across the events industry, yeah. but also in manufacturing in general. So there's, certainly, there's more, more to be done from our side, but I mean, obviously, before we sort of delve into what we as an events team and we as a team here at the manufacturer are doing, we want to touch upon sort of the, the, the wider issues in the marketplace. I mean, manufacturing has struggled to, to reflect the diversity of modern Britain in its workforce. Is that an issue which I know that you've obviously sort of spoken at length about this at various events that we've run? Yes, we did um, the Diversity and Inclusion Summit, I think, 2017, so I compared that event, um, or chaired, depending on what the correct terminology is. But um, in general, the talent challenge in manufacturing and being able to attract the right you know, skills into businesses is a broad challenge, and the angle is, well, you can address that by um, attracting a diverse workforce. I think the statistic is something under 30% of the manufacturing workforce are females, and if you're able to attract you know, 50% of the population, then that would help to address that challenge. Mm. Um, generally, manufacturing historically has been seen as kind of a male-dominated industry, and we use the term, and I think wider industry uses the term, kind of seen as being pale, male and stale. Um, and having a kind of, m attracting a more diverse, broader workforce and ensuring that your business um, has the environment that makes people feel comfortable uh, is really, really important to help address that challenge. And I think manufacturing, I think, is getting there because obviously they do recognise it as not a problem, but I think something that they should actively be thinking about a little bit slower when it comes to kind of implementing that change because historically when it comes to manufacturing, um, people think that you're still that manufacturer that kind of does things with their hands. The smokestack. The smoke yeah. mm. um, and actually manufacturing is, in your words, quite sexy. <laughs> you know. Um, so I think we are seeing the change there, but it's one of those things that will you know, happen when it comes. Yeah, I think it has to start quite lower, like lower end, so it has to come with the whole education piece of educating kids in schools, so shortening the skills gap introducing manufacturing as you know the what the, what the opportunities are to progress mm. into um, we have this like Asian saying that if you're a successful person in your life you're either a doctor accountant or an engineer so naturally you have Asians that are focused on those types of jobs but then you, you know you get some that are breaking those stereotypes and becoming artists and I think the landscape is changing, um, but definitely for us and the commercial team, we're definitely seeing that change of a diverse workforce. There is a, a statistic, and I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's... Make a, it up. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think it's a... I think it is that um, businesses with uh, diverse management teams are 25% more profitable, specifically manufacturing businesses. It's a McKinsey... Yeah. Uh, report that I think was originally done in 2014 and updated in 2017. But yeah, as she said, it's not just a box ticking exercise. Your business will be more profitable if you're you've got a more diverse well, workforce in general, not just yeah. your management team. But yeah. obviously, there is a lot of information around about particularly management roles and the the diverse, diversity balance there. 
Is that going to come up soon? Say again? The interview. Is that going to come up soon? Yes, it's going to come up soon. <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. Ben, ben, I mean, come so, and join the And really, I've never looked back since then. I 
Look at you now. Here you are on our podcast. So (laughs) absolutely. All those years later, I didn't think that would ever happen. But I do vividly remember getting the flight down from Glasgow for the awards thinking, I... This is this is exactly what I want. I'm going to make it. And I walked up the stairs of the of Savoy Place, just around the corner mm. from here, thinking, I I'm going to nail it. None of the other candidates are going to win. I'm going to win. And uh, yes, I won the the Women's Engineering Society Prize in 2007. And my relationship with the IT really spun off from that. You know, whether it is um, podcasts and, and videos for them, photo shoots, but also really kind of more serious stuff like policy making or driving what they do within the council and the board level now that I've kind of matured within the IET. But it's also just attending great engineering Mm. events and and inspiring younger people to become engineers and showing them the benefit of becoming an engineer. So it's, yeah, it's it's been non-stop and and it's it's not a chore whatsoever. I love every minute of it and I think they know that and I've met amazing people absolutely fantastic people through it fantastic we, we work very closely here at manufacturer with IT so it's great to hear your your own journey into deeper into manufacturing obviously being yeah. enabled by the IT um, perhaps if we take a step further back what, you, mean, you mentioned that you've always been interested in manufacturing which I'm delighted to hear how, how did that interest spark is it a family connection was it education that, that sort of pointed the way a combination of, of both actually so I I I grew up in Scotland, which is probably quite well known for shipbuilding and... Which part of Scotland? Glasgow. So, so by the Clyde, you know, I, I remember the ships getting made as, as a kid and, and just it's quite a heavy industry, it's an industrial city, mm. you know, it was, it was about heavy manufacturing back in the olden mm. days and now it's a lot about tech, but the universities still drive that ethos, it's about entrepreneurship and new thinking and new ideas. So, so that was definitely there, but also as a child, my dad is a physicist. Okay. So school holidays were down at the physics lab, you know, playing with microscopes. So I, I, I genuinely thought this is what every child did. I thought it was normal to go to multiple science fairs day after day, but most kids weren't doing that. It, but yeah, so I, I just thought that's what, what I should be doing. And I... I had a natural kind of passion for, for maths. Uh, as a dyslexic, I kind of saw numbers much more clearly than I saw words. And I mm. gravitated towards things that were kind of shaped and logic-based as well. So it, it was just a combination. And then I found this fantastic course called Product Design Engineering, which combined creativity, mm. manufacturing, engineering. And really that was, no looking back after that really it was it was exactly what i wanted it's, it's not been the smoothest of careers there's been some struggles but yes i think i was born to become an engineer we'll come to some of those struggles in a second perhaps but mm. do you want to talk a little bit more about your, your time at university and the way which which was it strathclyde so i did my undergraduate at glasgow university okay. which is the oldest engineering school in the uk so james Watt actually attended it which was Very good. Quite, quite nice to know um, but then I, I did my master's at Strathclyde, which is very well known for their connections with industry, connections mm. with institutions, you know. Because that's my question. I was going to ask, so what were the links between your, your the universities that you studied at and industry? And because that's often something that is pointed to as something that mm. we can do better here in the UK. But by the sounds of it, the connections at Strathclyde were, were yeah. very good. Yes, yeah, Strathclyde, I mean, they're 
but they're going from leaps and bounds as a, as a university. The, the engineering department that I graduated from was design, manufacturing, engineering, management. So really combined engineering thinking with how things are actually launched into, into industry. So they work very closely with the business school. And then off the back of that work with SMEs and large businesses. So it allowed me to be quite technical and quite kind of mindful of how things are made, but also see it in everyday life. And they've got a fantastic department that mimics what people do in industry. And the academics there are very well connected within all the kind of key international links that are needed for becoming a great engineer and great manufacturing. And do you keep up your, your contacts with your your alma mater? Are you going back and you inspiring the next generation of students? Yes, I do try and go back to, to the university. I the, the, One of the alumni team had an event down in London, so I attended that, gave a speech or a talk there. But I do go back to Strathclyde quite regularly. The, the, the department recently celebrated their 30th birthday, okay. so I was involved in the big party that they had up in great. Glasgow, and that was, that was great fun, you know, old lecturers that are now professors and got fancy titles, but yes, I remember when they were lower down in the ranks, but yeah, <laughs> no, no, they're, they're all absolutely lovely, and you know, we've grown up, we've all grown up together, and it's, it's a lovely kind of family, and very, we're all very supportive of one another, so I think the university as a whole does a lot for me, and I, I try and give back where I can, and great. that is their strap line, is about giving back as well. Great, great to hear. So um, you mentioned about some, some of the obstacles and how sort of the, the, the course hasn't always run smoothly. What sort of barriers have you, in retrospect, sort of encountered? And at the time, were you aware of those barriers? Or is it only sort of, as, as you've sure. developed in your career, they've become more obvious? I think I, I was always of the mindset that you get a degree or you get good education and you get a good job and then you naturally just move up the ranks. You know, I, I yeah. lived in this utopic world is far from the truth and I, uh, you know I've been made redundant twice it's it's not mm. as straightforward so some of the struggles yeah I mean redundancy is always tough to deal with yeah. but on both occasions I kind of bounced back the first time I did did my MBA off the back of it the second time I trained as a public speaker and did a lot of national work promoting engineering so that that was positive out of all of it. But some of the other struggles is also just getting businesses to realise your skill set and what you're capable of and, and what you're able to do. Because I think we still, we value apprentices, but do we value people that have got those strong connections with the IT, with academia, with SMEs, but also have got that broad thinking within business. So they're creative, they're technically very strong Mm. You know, I recently beca- became chartered, aiming to become a fellow of the IET at some point as well. So how do you combine somebody that's got those skill set and actually allow them to grow in industry? Someone that wants to take time off work to get toxic yeah. skills as well. And I think we still see engineering as the people that work in heavy industries and that all the other jobs can be learned. But actually engineers come with such strong technical skills and st- such strong analytical skills. And they see logic as well. So, yeah, no, it's, it's not been simple. And I think it's just being recognised for what you're worth as well. That's, that's been a challenge. And all, you know, the people at the manufacturer are doing fantastic things as well to, to help promote that as well. 
You heard it here, folks. But uh, so glad to hear that. Um, also, it'll be a very short interview. But um, how important have, have sort of mentors and sort of, sort of the network that you've cultivated over your time in manufacturing been for helping you go through those those ups and downs in your career? I think the the people at Strathclyde have, have been good because the when 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 I was out of work, I did a few courses through them, so it kind of helped me build up my CV. But also on a day to day basis, the IET and, and my other network, you know, that I've got with say Queen Scotland, which promotes women in, in STEM, they've been great at just kind of promoting what women are, are struggling with, you know, sometimes some of the barriers that we face, but also just being there to say, look, we've got this great event and it's you might have had a tough week at work, but you realise that this is why I do it. This is exactly why. I want to give back, I wanna make sure that the next generation and the current generation have got all the opportunities open yeah. to them and it's people like myself and all the, my my colleagues that are openly talking about challenges and, and kind of all, also the good stuff that's happening to them. So it, it, it will take time, but yeah, that my network has been great. And it's also just meeting fantastic people and, and meeting people that otherwise sitting at your desk in front of your laptop, you wouldn't get an opportunity to, to meet. Well, hopefully, you know, podcasts like this help add to that network and certainly hopefully it acts as a signal to our audience that there are many ways into manufacturing and there are many ways to develop your career and hearing your experience of how you've overcome challenges is also you know, inspiration to people who are going through ups and downs in their career and yeah. they need to have examples of uh, that uh, there's always light at the end of the tunnel right so um, what are some of your priorities that, that you are choosing to focus on now? How are you spending your time in terms of uh, addressing those priorities? I think one of my big priorities is growth and challenging myself to do things that will allow me to, to move up the ranks within industry because I'm quite keen to kind of progress within industry, but also how I can connect the dots as well because I do lots of things outside of work and how all of that can come together. So I've got friends that have got fantastic SMEs and fantastic connections within industry and with institutions and academia and how can all of that come together. So that's one of my priorities. Um, and I guess also it would also be doing more public events. You know, I, I am now kind of quite well known within the circuit of giving public talks and, and that gives me so much joy because I then have people coming up to me mm. going, I became an engineer because, you know, I heard you speak. And, that, and that, that's exactly why I want to change perceptions. Doing more talks, speaking at events, I think I know someone who might be able to help you with that. So uh, <laughs> we're the events team at the moment. This is the <laughs> events team's uh, podcast. Good so uh, So we would be delighted to off, offline sort of like discuss, you know, some of the the exciting events and agendas that we have coming up, which perhaps you could contribute to. So let's uh, watch this space, folks. But um, so obviously, one of the challenges that we as a, as a team, as an events team, have is that we're we're looking to sort of always increase the diversity of participants at our events, yeah. um, which is ironic because it's a it's an all male team. Uh, but you know, uh, we are trying very hard. Um, but obviously, one of the barriers we come up with is that if you look at sort of senior management in manufacturing, I think only around about 15% is, is female, mm -hmm. for example. Uh, and by any measure of diversity, UK manufacturing is, is lagging rather than leading. What are some of the things that you, you feel manufacturers either are doing or, or need to be looking at to sort of help overcome 
this, I suppose, this un unwitting sort of blind spot and enable them to get sort of full access to the, the range of talent that the UK has? Yeah, and I think sometimes it can feel like a boys network. Um, and I didn't find that. I'm sorry, I didn't start it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I didn't sense that in the toy industry. I think that's interesting. It's it's yeah. It was very female dominated. Mm. I mean, primarily kind of within sales, marketing, and development. But even within engineering, there was a lot of females that went into to global yeah. toy engineering development and manufacturing, which was really nice. Um, and why why is it not the case in other industries? And, and what can we do more? I think we. We need to see the strengths and we need to mentor those women mm. up the ranks. Some of them have got kids, you know, so they need a little bit more flexibility potentially with their time. It's difficult to travel, you know, yeah. for, for family commitments or other commitments. So having those roles that allow the flex. Yeah. And, and a lot of men want that flexibility yeah. as well now. We can't just say it's one-sided. So how do we, we, we marry all those kind of needs together? And and also knowing that your engineering and the things that we engineer and manufacture are delivered to 100% of our audience. So at the end of the day, we should have a diverse people at the table manufacturing and developing those products. It, it just makes yeah. sense, right? It's It doesn't make sense to just have people that look and sound the same at your table. Agree. Um, <laughs> so. Just going back to your your education, sort of how how mixed a group was it? Your cohort first as an undergraduate, then as a postgraduate. I'm trying to understand sort of at what point does it yeah. change? Yes, I'm probably one of the few, if if not the only female from the course that actually stayed within the profession. And I believe when when I mean I I graduated almost twenty years ago, but I. It was a team of about 30 and I think about 10 females. So at that time, mm. it was quite a high ratio. That's almost 30%. And I think part of it was because it was a creative, partly a creative role. Yeah. Um, and But what has kind of happened, I think people, well, when, when I graduated in Scotland, a lot of people wanted to stay in Scotland. They weren't willing to move down south for the jobs. So that wasn't... That, that was a barrier. And I guess the second thing is, is I, I travelled a lot. I mm. travelled internationally very much in the beginning of my career. And some people weren't willing to do that. And, and it's also the hours that you have to put in. And, and the environment, you know, if you want to stay within manufacturing, it is, it is still, you're still battling against those kind of, the kind of, the, some of the old school thinking is—it it sometimes does feel like it, it, it's hard work, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're very welcomed at the table, and other times it feels like I should have just done something else. And mm -hmm. I do have those moments in my career, and thinking, I love what I do, but I cannot move forward because of the barriers that are put in front of me daily. Um, so how does how does that change, and, and how do we change perceptions? But people need to realise that we come with strengths. And those strengths are different to other people's. Absolutely. So, so it, it's all common sense. It's just a matter of making it work. So perhaps we can close with just um, looking at looking to your younger self. 
and to the next generation of talent sort of considering a career in manufacturing, what, what tips would you give them? What advice would you give your younger self? I've been asked that question a lot recently. Oh, God damn it, I thought I was being original. <laughs> but, um. Um, I, I mean, I've always thought that things that I've, you know, I, I've said this in other podcasts and things, the things that I worried about back then, you know, your things that are problems today are not going to be problems tomorrow. And, you know, mm. I, I sit there and I, I fret about things that are currently problems. And I know five years from now, I'm not going to worry about them. But think to my younger self was you know literally follow your dreams I mean I always wanted to become a toy engineer I literally knew from about the age of about 10 this must be a job how do I become this toy engineer that that's got to be a career and I had to pinch myself when I was out in the states and you know Los Angeles in New York thinking I've, I've actually done it like well, now what do I do so I think any career is possible if you if you do want to do it and just just keep working and, and don't stay quiet. I mean, I think we're, we tell our kids to kind of, oh, that's too big a dream. Absolutely not, nothing's aim high, you'll do it. Well, I'm thank you ever so much for sharing with us today. What did you like about the interview? Um, I liked that she sort of had a vision from a young age of, because obviously a lot of children, of course, like toys, and she just decided I would like to be the person who makes the toys, I want to be the manufacturer of toys. And the fact that she had such a clear goal and just went ahead and achieved that seemingly very early on in her career, um, to the point where she's kind of like, oh, I've made it, what's next? I think that's that really was the, an amazing story. That was her strong motivation. I think mm. uh, it's interesting to see that, you know, it required strong motivation to get into manufacturing, to get onto an engineering course, uh, to, to you know get placed in a great, manufacturer um, and I think that you know it requires strong impetus you know whoever you are yeah. getting into manufacturing but certainly she's, she had that in spades um, and I like the fact that uh, you know she has continued to argue for both diversity and sort of gender representation across the sector I know she's very involved in the institution of uh, Engineering and Technology, Engineering and Technology yeah. Council, which I think you're on the council as well, aren't you? Yes, yes, that's how I met Mamta. But yeah, we sit on the Manufacturing Policy Panel. But yeah, she's very active um, and spends a lot of her spare time supporting the industry and um, learning and networking and helping others as well. There are some fantastic examples of um, schools that are really doing everything that they can to promote manufacturing. I think was it the September issue last year? I can't remember what it's called, I think it's with R, but it's a, there's a whole team of teachers um, that adopt, um, I guess, manufacturing, I can't think of the term, but methodologies for um, working mm. and then try and use that as a backdrop for kind of promoting manufacturing as an industry. Um, it, there's kind of not a set national campaign and that's mm. kind of, you hear about these amazing academic um, institutions and, and schools that are doing great things, but it's kind of in little pockets, and obviously we're keen to hear as much about that as possible, if anyone can share additional stories of that. Yeah. So um, I think that's probably a happy hour, which is uh, what this <laughs> podcast uh, promises to deliver. Um, but I'd just like to say thanks so much for, for, for joining us. Hopefully it's not the, 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 the last time you'll be on the podcast. Um, <laughs> thank Thanks you. Bye. Bye bye.
The Manufacturer Podcasts are sponsored by Sage, helping manufacturers perform at their best. For more information, visit sage.com/perform.